October 4th, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, there's been so much going on outside the world of sports with hurricanes, protests, the Vegas disaster, deaths of friends, deaths of rock icons. It's going to be good to get back to talking sports, even if it's with the dumbest sports fans in America. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts exactly, Bill. Thank goodness for sports. I mean, this week more than ever, we woke up Monday morning to the news of that horrific mass shooting in Vegas, then found out that evening that Tom Petty, maybe my favorite singer ever, was gone. So a tough couple of days, and it is nice that we're able to step away from all of that for at least the next hour or so to talk Eagles, Phillies, and Flyers. Well, and speaking of the Eagles, they had a nice win out on the West Coast, and and the Philly season came to an end with Pete McCann getting the axe. A little bit of a surprise, and tonight starts the Flyer season, and this is always a great time of year. And by the way, uh, in case anybody didn't see the little promo, we have Jason Stark on the show later on to talk about the Pete McCannon uh, dismissal. But uh, Flyers talk is first on the bill, and it is time to drop the puck and get things rolling. Yep, well, let's do it. Let's talk Flyers hockey with our resident expert from HockeyBuzz.com, Bill Meltzer. Bill, welcome back. Hey, guys, how you doing? Doing all right. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining us once again. And just to uh, get you in the spirit of things, let's do this, okay? Here we go. (laughs) I couldn't resist. All right, Bill, you cover the orange and black and what's happening with the Flyers alumni all year round. And now here we are with the puck dropping on a new season. So how pumped are you for this uh, start of the season every October? Oh, it's, it, you know, the uh, when you don't make the playoffs as the Flyers didn't last year, I mean, it's been 178 days since their last game, but who's counting, right? It's it, it <laughs> a very long season. It's uh, it's really it's really nice to have, have games meaning something again. And, uh yeah, I mean, it's going to start out with a pretty tough road trip, four four tough games on the road with a three and four swing right off the bat through California. So for a team that's uh, struggled a bit on the road, it's been a very good home team, it's a big challenge right right away. And the Flyers announced their season opening roster the other day. Five rookies are on the roster, but not Oscar Lindblom, while veteran Matt Reed cleared waivers and will begin the season with the Phantoms. Any surprise? I know some of the rookies won't stick probably, but any surprises with the opening night roster? Uh, you know, a, a little a little bit. Um, you know, I thought Lindblom came to camp with a pretty good chance at a job. Um, and with Lindblom, he, you know, he, he played well defensively. He played well on both, you know, both sides of the puck. He was good on the boards. Did score one goal, though he may or may not have deflected it, but the point is he was in position for it. The thing with Lindblom I'd like to see is I'd like to see a little bit more quickness in his feet, maybe get some games in in the American Hockey League, get a little get a little confidence, you know, maybe a little bit more aggressiveness in the offensive zone. That's what they're looking to see. And then 
hopefully it'll come up at some point this season. They're still very high on him. I, I did think he had a chance of making the team out of camp, so that was a little bit of a surprise that he didn't. Um, and Tyler Lear winning a job out of camp. I mean, he came in as a little bit of a dark horse. Uh, he'd had, I think, believe 16 games over the last two seasons with the club, but he wasn't a guy who people had penciled into the lineup. But he, he made himself very hard to cut. He had to get a terrific camp. And actually, the, the fourth line uh, with uh, Lear playing with Scott Lawn and, and uh, Michael Roffel looks like a significant upgrade from last year's line the year before that, too. So that's that was, that was definitely a bright spot in camp. I think those would be the biggest surprises in, in terms of who made the team. And then it still remains to be seen how they're going to sort out with the defensemen. Originally, it was going to be either uh, Travis Sanheim or Sam Moran would probably have gone back to the Phantoms. Uh, then Shane Gossespierre got injured in the, the last preseason game. So as a precaution, they took eight defensemen to, uh, to California with them on the road trip. Um, both of the rookies are sitting tonight, Sam Moran and, uh, and Travis Sanheim. And I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of fans. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of upside, certainly those two have higher upside than some of the veterans who are playing over them. You know, I, I think it's a case where, I think it's a case where as of right now, at least Dave Haxel has a little more trust in the known quantity. I know that's frustrating to some people. It's, uh, you know, and, and not, you know, I think, I think that, uh, it shouldn't be too long before before you see the young you know the so the young guys breaking the lineup. Like I said there's a three and four here, so hopefully at least one of them will will get a look in the next few games. And in, and over the course of a season, things change anyway. I mean, a couple of years ago, Shane Gostaspear started the year in the American Hockey League, and by the end of the year, he was a he was a finalist for the Calder Trophy. Right, Claude Giroux, his first pro camp was actually cut from from the Flyers. He started out with the Phantoms, and a couple of months later, he came up. So things. You know, things change over the course of a long season. Like the Flyers will need to get off to at least a decent start this year. But, you know, as long as, long as they can kind of kind of hold, you know, hold their own for a while as, as they go through this tough road trip, then see how they do at home. Because they've been, they've been like, like I said, a very good home team in recent years. So, you know, I, I think there were some surprises in how the roster shaped, shaped up. But I think that uh, – I think the roster in the months to come, based on how they, how they do – could look very different by the end of the season than it does at the very beginning because they have some veterans who, who are guys who are on expiring contracts at the end of this year, like uh, Valtteri Filpola. You know, maybe if they're not in contention towards the deadline, he's a the guy they might move. Like, see young guys get more ice time as the season goes along. So, it's you know, it's really, it really is a marathon. And, uh, you know, the, and maybe, maybe they're not starting out with as many youngsters in the lineup as people would like to have seen. I still think before too long, though, the, the young players are going to play an important role. Well, Bill, talking about those young guys, do you think in the long haul when, you know, you've got the three rookies, you have Provorov who's, you know, only in his second year and still just 20 years old, uh, can, can you survive the marathon in that league once everybody gets up the game speed and all that? with such young kids that are certainly going to make mistakes. They're young. That, and that, that, you know, that I think also figured into the thinking as well, because if you, because if they would have had Sanheim and Moran and Robert Haig, who is in the lineup tonight playing a second NHL game, if they would have had all three of those guys in the lineup, then five of their six defensemen would have been aged 24 or younger and have fewer than 145 games of NHL experience. That's a lot of youth and inexperience to start a season with. Uh, you know, now 
of course, the question is, are, are the young guys better than some of the veterans, the Brandon Mannings and, you know, the, the ever-popular Andrew McDonald? And, you know, I mean, I, I think McDonald, McDonald is maybe – he's not a guy you necessarily want playing in the top pairing, although he was there last year and is starting this year too. You know, I think, I think a little lower in the lineup and, and he wouldn't be as exposed. And then eventually maybe be, that'll be where they go. You know, um, Provorov is a guy who's 20 years old and, and he plays like a veteran already. He's already the Flyers' best defenseman, plays the most minutes. Uh, he had a really good camp from a defensive standpoint, and he's only kind of scratched the surface of what he can do offensively. I mean, he's the guy just going to keep, I think, getting better and better and better. Um, Goss is, like I said, he's a, he's a third-year player. He needs a bit of a bounce-back year. But I do think that when you have so much youth in the lineup, there, there, you know, there, will, be, there will be ups and downs. There will be stretches where they're going to look great and stretches where they have to adjust to the league, you know, sometimes look at what happened with Gosses Bear as a rookie. You know, the, the before there was a really good before there were scouting reports on him, he he was setting the league on fire. Teams scouted him, then he had to adjust back. And last year, he, you know, last year he had he had some bumps in the road, and that's just that's just the way it is with with all young players. But I think that you know it, it hasn't it wasn't for no reason that uh, the Flyers were ranked as the top farm system in the NHL by most publications, by most experts and most pundits. So I think that for the long term, the future is really bright, but it's, you know, it's going to, it'll take some doing to get there. It's not going to all be just a steady upward climb. There'll be bumps. So Haig is in the lineup for game one. And so too is another rookie, the guy taken with the second overall pick, Nolan Patrick. I want to ask you about him, uh, Bill. Will he ultimately be a solid player, an all-star or maybe a superstar? Patrick is Patrick. I think is going to be a very good player. Um, you know, superstar. We'll, we'll see. Uh, he, I think he showed during the preseason that he he really sees the ice at a very high, almost you know, almost elite level for especially for a player his age. And he's also a very accomplished two way player. Where he's going to have to get a little bit better. Saw a little bit in the preseason, and we talked a little bit about Lindblom and his quickness. Um, you know, Patrick Patrick needs more quickness. His his feet seem a little bit sluggish at times uh he he had i think I, I thought only one or two really prime end scoring chances he has a very good shot but really didn't see it very much during the preseason he's going to have to work on getting a little bit of separation from the defense i think eventually he'll start scoring some goals i don't know how many he's going to score right off the bat you know or, or even his rookie year but i think over time he has he has a really quick release and a, and a good shot so as he as he learns to, to get a body position, get into the scoring areas. I think you'll see him score more goals. I think he'll be a very good player. A superstar, I, I don't know. Uh, he's going to have to stay healthy as part of it. And I think also maybe one of the things that's with his quickness also is don't forget that he's had two hernia surgeries in the course of a year, and he played through an undiagnosed one for much of last season too. Those injuries, as we saw last year with Claude Giroux and, and Shane Gosses there, that can take – a significant part of the season to totally get your skating back too. So I think, you know, I think that some of that is Patrick working, working his way back from that to a hundred percent and, you know, and, and getting used to the league. But I think, uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about with him. His skill level and his hockey sense are, are very high end. Well, Bill, you mentioned Claude Giroux and that's who I was going to ask you about next. He's getting ready to be 30 years old. Uh, not his best season probably last year. Uh, what what can we expect from Giroux? I'm I'm a big Giroux fan, but uh, is he really declining, or did he just battle through injuries and never say anything? Well, I think I definitely think that last year 
you know, he was coming back from a, a the hip, groin, hernia kind of surgery himself. Got a little bit banged up in the World Cup of Hockey. Had a had a short summer to begin with because he had to get ready for the World Cup. And he got off to a good start. If you look at what he did over the first 15 games of the season last year, I mean, he was he was at a, a little at a point per game or slightly over a point per game, but but a you know but a typical Giroux kind of a pace. And then he kind of hit a wall, and really never totally got it back. And January was a one of the we you know one of the worst months of his NHL career, you know. And it just kind of the stretch drive he got it back a little bit, but. It was definitely an off season for him. I, I think he'll bounce back. The, the really interesting thing, of course, is that they've, at least at least for the time being, they've moved him from center to left wing on a line with Sean Couturier and, and Jakub Borchek. Now, you know Giroud had played center exclusively for the last seven years and was originally drafted as a, as a right winger. So, although he's worked the, the left half wall and the power play, left wing is really a an entirely new position for him. He ha, he's had all of about three, four games added during the preseason. That's going to take some time to adjust. But I think that I think that once he navigates that and if they stick with it, I don't see any reason why Giroud can't bounce back and having his usual 20, 25 goal season and you know somewhere somewhere in the 70 point range. I mean, in today's NHL, that's still really good. I yeah, I think Giroud is far from done. I think Giroux, Voracek, and Gossespierre are all going to have to have better seasons this year than last year, so we shall see. All right, Bill, you know i got to get there. we got to talk about the goaltender situation. Uh, Steve Mason is gone, so it's going to be Michael Neuvert and newcomer Brian Elliott to begin the season. Do you have confidence in those guys, Bill, and do you like what you saw from Alex Lyon and the other goalie prospects in training camp in the preseason? Well, you know, I think that uh, Elliott is a guy who – if you look at what he did in St. Louis, where he had a really good defensive team in front of him, he put up really he put up really good numbers, and they got to they got to a conference final with him as the starter. So, that being said, I mean when Elliott has had kind of lesser teams in front of him, he hasn't done as well. You know, last year in last year in Calgary, he got off to a pretty rough start. He got got better as the season went along. He wasn't very good in the playoffs. You know, I, I think that he's kind of at best, a lateral move with Steve Mason. I'm more of a Mason guy than some other people, but I, I think that uh, you know I, I don't think Elliott is a superstar by any means. I, I think that if there's one goalie in the two who's capable of getting on a roll and carrying the team for a while, it, it's Neuwirth. But Neuwirth has a history of injuries and um, also a history of being a little bit streaky. I mean, there, but there have been times like the like the playoff series against Washington a couple of years ago. He played some of the best goal I've ever seen a Flyers goalie play. You know, he's capable of that for stretches at a time. He can carry a team for a while. But, you know, but he he could go down for six weeks. And it's, it's you know, it, it's an uncertain thing. I, I think that – I think the Flyers rolled the dice. It's a, it's a two-year arrangement here. I, I think you have to call the goaltending a question mark as to, as to how they're going to split the time, how the two goalies are going to perform, you know, whether Neuvirth can bounce back from a – from probably the worst year of his career a year ago. I don't think anybody can, you know, with confidence say it's a team strength. It's not necessarily going to be a weakness either. I think uh, I think that can play out over time. Both goalies are capable of uh, of holding the fort, you know, if they if they both play the, to their better seasons from the past. Uh, you and have how about Lyon and the other guys? Yeah. Well, I mean, Stolar, Anthony Stolars is going to unfortunately miss most of the season. Um, yeah. He had a knee injury right before the playoffs last year, re-injured it in training camp, 
and it's going to be a while. He's going to miss a good part of the the season. So it's unfortunate for Stoli because he looked pretty good in in eight games with the big club last year. And the year before that, he'd had an all-star season in the American league. And it's, you know, this, this is two pretty, two pretty significant knee injuries. I mean, it's the same injury, but it's a recurrence. And it's also a contract year for him too. So that's, it's a rough situation for him. Alex Lyon, I thought looked looked fine in camp. I thought he looked he looked solid. Um, you know, he's he's a second year pro, a little a little bit older because he played collegiate hockey at Yale than than a guy who would turn pro at you know about 21 years old. But he's but I thought he I thought he had a good solid overall first first year at the Phantoms. The Phantoms scored a lot, but they weren't a great defensive team. You know, and I and I thought I thought Lyon did pretty well. I thought he did well in camp too. Um, you know, it's going to get awfully thin, though, if uh, if one of the NHL goalies goes down. Lyon would be the backup. I don't know yet if they have enough confidence in him to start, you know, to to start a series of games if it comes to that. And that's really that's really it. They they signed a they signed a veteran named Leland Irving, who was a formerly a first round pick of uh, Calgary Flames. Uh, really didn't develop the way the Flames had hoped. He kind of bounced around the minor leagues. He went to Europe for a while. And he's gonna he'll back up um, he'll back up Lyon with the Phantoms, but he's actually only on an only on a minor league contract, and he didn't he didn't look he didn't play well enough in camp to be a guy who they would convert that minor league deal to an to an NHL deal. I think I think there's an injury they might be in the market to go out and get a stopgap veteran. Um, so it's uh, it's a, so overall I think I think it's a bit of a question mark, but they do have some capable guys if everything else falls in place. Bill, one final question from me. Wayne Simmons, 29, 28, 32, and 31 goals the last four years. Any reason not to expect 30 goals from Simmons and half of them being power play goals? Uh, any reason to see any change in his play? I don't, I don't believe so, as long as, he, as long as he has another healthy season. And, um, you know, he'll, he'll start out the year playing on the line with Patrick and with Jordan Wheel. He played a little bit with Wheel toward the end of last season. They had some chemistry with each other. I, I don't see any reason why Simmons can't have another thirty-goal kind of season. I mean, you know, I he's uh, he's getting you know he'll be in his thirties. It'll be it'll be in his next contract. It'll be a topic for I guess a future show. But his next contract will start to getting be the age in the thirties where you sometimes worry about those power forward types. But, but for this season, and I think the year or two after that, no, no, no reason at all why he can't just keep rolling. All right, Bill, two final quick questions from me. First of all, your prediction, Flyers, points and playoffs or not? Uh, Points-wise, I I would say that uh, they were 88 points last year. I I think they could get into the low 90s, and I think they're they're a bubble team. But if you had to look at everything on paper, I would say they're, they're just outside the playoffs this year. And my final one, I know, like a lot of us, you were a fan of Tom Petty, Bill. So any particular memories or favorite songs from Tom Petty? I, I was a, I was absolutely a huge Tom Petty fan, you know. Yeah, me too. I, I just just one, you know. I, I I actually I posted this on social media. You know, as much as I love Tom Petty's music, I I always thought there was this underlying sense of humor in, in his stuff. And there was a yeah. uh, back in the VHS days, uh, I bought this cassette called uh, A Bunch of Videos and some other stuff. And I thought it was I thought it was hilarious. As much, the music in there was great. There were some live performances. Of course, there were the music videos too. But I thought the little the little you know interlinking segments were hilarious. I mean, I just I just found Tom Petty to be just a just a great entertainer, a great songwriter, and, and it's a huge loss. Yep, I'm with you. 
All right, Bill. Well, hey, we certainly appreciate you joining us. We're glad to get this thing rolling, and let's go Flyers. Sounds good, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. Bill. All right. Let's now take a break and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Had a great time there last Saturday for their Oktoberfest. Always a fun time at the Irish Rover. Great dinners, steak, chicken ribs, seven or eight varieties of burgers, Awesome, awesome, awesome sandwiches and wraps, and not to mention their superb gourmet wings. A new express lunch menu, too. The Rover has daily food and drink specials, and there's an extensive beer list, 24 brews on tap. Bands are back. Weekends at the Rover this Saturday night. It is the band All Jacked Up. Very good stuff. The Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorne, and on the web at irishroverhousestationhouse.com. Bill, you just oh, knew I was right. going to mix in a little Tom Petty music right there. Oh, and there I it knew. Is. That's why I was just letting it ride, my friend. But, hey, <laughs> yeah, we we mentioned the Phillies finished the season actually on a high note, playing 500 ball the second half of the season, but not good enough to save Pete McCannon and his staff. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I was surprised at that announcement last Friday afternoon, but clearly Matt Clentock felt that while he likes what Pete was able to accomplish once the young guys came up, he wasn't the guy that Clentac wanted there in the dugout to take them to the next level. Yeah, I mean, Pete wasn't really his guy, so I guess that's the that's the reason for that. But, hey, now it's all on Clentac. It's going to be his guy, whoever it is, and uh, he's going to have to win with them. And, hey, you had a chance to sit down with Jason Stark, as you said, uh, in the opening the other day to talk some baseball. What did Jason have to say? Oh, well, Jason's fantastic. You know that. And he had plenty to say about the McCannon news, the Phil's young hitters, the many question marks with the rotation, you name it. So shall we play back that interview? Let's do it. Here we go. Very happy to welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio, longtime baseball writer and a one-time star of the great sports debate on PRISM, <laughs> Jason Stark. Hey, Jason. It's amazing how often that great sports debate comes up, Chet. I'd live to tell about it. I'm proud of that. I love that show. Anyway, Jason, first things first, a bit of a surprising move last Friday by the Phillies, who decided not to keep Pete McCannon on as manager. Now, the Phillies played 500 ball from mid-July through the end of the season, actually 37 and 36. So did Matt Clentock make the right move or not regarding McCannon? Well, I mean, I feel sorry for Pete. I felt like he did a good job. I thought he was kind of underrated in that job. You know, there were some people out there that disagreed with that on Twitter. Imagine that. But he's played hard for Pete McCannon every game of all three seasons that he was the manager. Last time I calculated this, if you look at their expected one-loss record versus their actual one-loss record, they won nine more games than the data indicated they should have won in that time. I think that tells us something. So I feel like it would have been really easy to keep Pete and in many ways the right thing to do to keep Pete. Here's how I would probably explain Matt Clintac's thinking. If you remember when the Cubs went out and what was the right word for what they did to Rick Renneria? Fired isn't quite it, but (laughs) when they had a chance to hire Joe Madden, so they did that because they felt like they were at that stage where it was important to find an inspirational leader. 
in a lot of ways, that's what this is. There is nothing wrong in their eyes with Pete McCannon being the manager. But they've reached the stage now where, as Matt Klintak alluded the other day, the wins and losses are going to start to matter. What happens in the big leagues is going to start to matter in a way that it hasn't mattered throughout this entire rebuild. Next year's a big year. The development of these young players is critical to where they're going. And their ability to attract free agents, not this winter, but next winter, is dependent on them showing signs of progress. It was inevitable that one of these days, Matt Klintag was going to hire his own guy. And he was going to want somebody who was closer to his age than Pete, right? There's a 30-year age difference. And this is about finding someone who thinks the way this front office thinks, much more heavily into modern metrics, and someone who I think they want to serve as the inspirational leader and difference maker for this next generation. So that's what they're looking for. That's what they're thinking. I think it's a lot more complicated about whether it was the right move or the wrong move. You mentioned the young players. How do you like this young core? Hoskins, Altair, Herrera, Williams, Alfaro, etc.? Well, there's a lot to like. You know, Reese Hoskins showed that until he ran out of steam there yeah. the last two weeks, uh, he's kind of, to me, he looks like kind of a right-handed Joey Votto, and I mean that as a compliment. This guy had fantastic at-bats. Incredible. I mean, that's what they're looking for. And his performance over the last two seasons in the minor leagues indicated he's the real deal. Well, there's nothing that would indicate this isn't what he is, other than the fact that it's hard to play in the big leagues. So, I mean, of all the things that happened, I would say he ranks number one on that list. Uh, Nick Williams, you know, he showed off all the tools in the toolbox, and there's a lot to like about him, too. You know, 97 strikeouts in basically half a season and 20 walks. This is their concern with him, but he can play. He's a player, and they found out there was more there than maybe even they knew was going to be there. J.P. Crawford is still in a lot of ways a work in progress, but it's incredible how good he looked at third. Uh, he can clearly play short. His plate discipline translated to the big leagues. He's got more developing to do, but he's young, and he's going to be the shortstop of the future. You know, If they don't trade Freddie Galvis, that might not be opening day, but he's 22 years old, right? So there's a lot to like about what they saw, and there's going to be some growth there. And the guy I feel like gets lost always when people talk about the young players is Aaron Altair because he's been around a while, and he's 26 years old now. But he finished the season. He slugged over 500, and he had an OPS over 850. He can play all three outfield positions. This is an everyday player in the big leagues and potentially a star in the big leagues. So they definitely found some building blocks. If you look at their team, I think you could definitely see the future, at least of the lineup card, in what you saw out there in September. Now, Aaron Nola seems to be the only sure thing regarding the starting rotation. Do you like any of the other guys in the mix? Ben Lively, Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Jake Thompson, Mark Leiter Jr., the list goes on and on. <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. First off, you know, Aaron Nola didn't get enough recognition for what he did and what he was. He was one of the top 10 starting pitchers in the National League. And considering how the year began, with all the doubts about his health, uh, he took a major step forward. Um, for all those people who thought he could not be a top-of-the-rotation starter, like he might not be Scherzer, he might not be Kershaw, 
if he's not a true number one, and if your definition of ace is it has a bar that's set higher than maybe some people, he's a 1A. He's no worse than a 2 if he's this guy because the swings and misses, 184 strikeouts and 168 innings, that was the one thing people weren't sure about. Aaron Nola is a winning player and a guy who can pitch postseason game and you'd feel good about him being out there. Now with everybody else, who knows? Hmm. Nick Pavetta showed you the kind of swing and miss stuff he can have when he locates, when he slows it down. And he made progress in demeanor and mound presence. There's something there. You know, the question is whether he can be that guy consistently. I still feel like Jared Eikhoff has a chance to be like Adam Wainwright light, but I'm, I'm not convinced he was healthy this year, and we'll see what he is. Vince Velasquez, I'm still not convinced that he'll ever be efficient enough to be a starting pitcher in the big leagues. But because of the stuff and because of the upside and because of the age, they have nothing to lose in continuing to run him out there and find out if he can start. Then you have the rest of that group. Ben Lively always exceeds expectations, and you know he's a back-of-the-rotation starter, but I mean you need those guys. He looks like at least he's going to be a fairly predictable, fairly consistent pitcher for what he is. Mark Leiter, I think... In the age of the multi-inning reliever, looks like he could really be good in that role. If you saw anybody else this year that you thought could potentially be a starting pitcher on a winning team in the big leagues, I'd like to know who it is. Yeah, and we'll see if they bring in a free agent starter. That would be a nice plus, I would think. Well, I think what is more likely is a trade for a starting pitcher that they think they can grow with a number two or three type starter who's fairly young and has some years of control left because this is all about at this point trying to put together pieces for when they think they can contend and i mean that's two years away minimum might be three years away so you're looking at anybody they acquire would have to have at least three years of control the free agent starting pitching array does not really contain guys like that unless they drastically overpay and sign guys who are a little older than what they're looking for. So I'm still going to be skeptical that they sign an impact free agent. They might take a chance on a guy like Chris Tillman, say, and on a short deal. He fits the mold of the kind of guys they've been signing, except he's coming off a really rough year, but probably wasn't healthy. And I mean, they'll still buy some free agent lottery tickets. Are they going to make a big impact free agent signing? I'm going to doubt it. Jason, Phil's radio colorman Larry Anderson will be scaling back his workload, doing fewer games starting next season. Now, Ryan Lawrence at Philly Voice wrote a piece naming <laughs> five potential candidates to help fill the void, and he mentioned the name Jason Stark. Any interest, <laughs> any interest in something like that? You know, I was amazed by the outpouring <laughs> in Twitter of people who thought this was actually a good idea. <laughs> uh, they didn't have me mixed up with Tony Stark. Did they? That usually happens. Um, you know, like I'm at a point in my career where since I'm still a free agent, I'm open to anything. And, you know, I haven't talked to the Phillies. I really don't know whether they would have interest in me. It strikes me as something that could be a really cool, fun thing to do that I would work hard at and try to be as good as I can be. But is that where this is leading? I really couldn't tell you. I was really flattered that Ryan put me on that list and amazed by how many people thought that was a good idea. I'm in that camp. I think you'd be great. 
Well, thank you, my friend. Finally, Jason, I know you love this time of year. Baseball's postseason. Nationals, Cubs squaring off the NLDS. The Dodgers, who had a very rough September to play the wild card winner. Who comes out of the National League and the American League pennant winner will be who? Tell me, what do you see happening here? Uh, Well, you recognize that my middle name is not Nostradamus. (laughs) If you've you've checked out my postseason prognostications, it ain't pretty, man. But (laughs) right now, I would pick Indians, Nationals, because... Those are the two most talented teams in the field, and they're the teams with the fewest weaknesses. So what do we know about them? They're both doomed because I just picked them. I've, <laughs> you know, the Nationals could go in the first round, and Max Scherzer might not be healthy, and Bryce Harper really did not look good that last week after he came off the DL, and they're playing the Cubs. But they're the two best teams, so let's try predicting them. And, folks, if you don't follow Jason Stark on Twitter, shame on you. He is a great follow, lots of great stuff on there. And I truly appreciate you, Jason, taking the time to talk with me here on Philly Press Box Radio. Chet, it's always a pleasure, man. Well, Chet, i got to tell you, that is one fine guest, as always. Jason knows his baseball. I mean, we all knew that. But always just a pleasure to talk to. And uh, we talked a bit after the formal interview and he mentioned he didn't think Dusty Watson, the Lehigh Valley manager, would ultimately get the job because, as we all thought, Klintak really wants his own guy, and so he's going to go outside the Phillies organization and not go with a guy like Dusty Wathen, even though Dusty would be familiar with, you know, Hoskins and Crawford and those guys. So that was an interesting comment, I thought, from him after the formal interview. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and, you know, I think he made some real good good comments, and I certainly agree with them. Uh, you know, the Galvis thing, I, I see that writing is certainly on the wall. And, uh, you know, two to three years out seems like a long time if you're going to lose a lot of ball games. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably real. And, and the J.P. Crawford thing certainly is um, up in the air as well. He, he's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, they've got six – or seven, if you count Kingry, infielders, you know, who can play the four spots right there. So somebody's either going to have to ride the bench or get traded, uh, and that's where that trade for a potential starting pitcher might be happening, Uh, you know, a Galvis for a number three starter or whatever. We'll see. And uh, he likes the outfield, which I do as well, Altair, Herrera, and Nick Williams. So uh, that could be the outfield for the next several years if all goes well. Um, but starting pitching, of course, is going to be the key. And you and, I, will, and, and you know you and I will disagree on that for a little while yet. What, the outfield? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we I, probably will. But, I mean, Jason, like me, both – you know, we both think Altair is a pretty good ball player. You're not as high on him as we are, but I like Aaron Altair. Look at his numbers, what he did. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, gotta before keep uh, we got to move healthy. on here pretty quick, we got to move on here pretty quick, and we got Fred coming on. But, uh, Chet, you had uh, – I, I was trying to go between each segment to give you a little Tom <laughs> Petty time. Jeez. Ah, no, I just wanted to say as we were playing a little bit of I Won't Back Down that uh, – he was one of my all-time favorite singers. The Heartbreakers, one of my favorite bands. And I'm just very lucky to have seen Tom and his band six times over the years. And I was never, ever disappointed. So just, you know, another one gone too soon. Although the music will live on, certainly. So thank you, Tom Petty. That's all. Okay. All <laughs> right. got to have some music. And it ain't Tom Petty.
It's that time. It's it's Fred time. So uh, let's see if I can find the music for Fred because he's got to be formally introduced, of course. There you go. It's not Tom Petty. All right, Chet, as we say, it's, it's time to welcome our fantasy football guru, Fred. You go back to the show. Fred, welcome back. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Hey, Fred. Good. Hey, before we get started talking football and all that other stuff, Please tell us quickly about Vegas. You were there Sunday night when that tragedy took place. Thank God you're safe. And uh, what in the world was it like real quick? Well, it was really sad. And, and I, I lucked out that, that uh, we, we changed what our plans were because we would have been watching the Eagles at Mandalay Bay because um, that's where you oh, can wow. gamble there. But we, we switched it up and we decided to do the pool party Sunday we did that a couple like months ago. We decided that, but yeah, it was very, it was very sad. My my little brother was actually in a cab on the way there, um, not for the concert, but to be in that area. And as he was there, that it all happened. And uh, yeah, it was just very sad. And then the, the next day, obviously, our flight wasn't until eleven o'clock that night. The next day, and um, just very somber and and just. You almost were, I don't know, looking around for, like, what's going to happen. You know what I mean? You just look up at windows, and you're kind of like, you don't think anything's going to happen, but in the back of your head, you're like, what, what if there's a second thing that's going to happen? Because you really don't know the real details that they're still investigating now, you know? Well, yep. well we are certainly glad you're safe. And I, and I can tell you, one of, uh, one of the guys down in Lakeland, a young guy about your age, Fred, uh, was out there, and he, he's a Facebook friend of mine as well, uh, was out there and was at the concert and left oh the concert gosh. to get on his plane to come from Vegas to Orlando. And when he landed in Orlando, uh, they found out about it. So, oh, boy, wow. crazy, crazy stuff. Oh, my stuff. gosh. Well, anyway, we are glad you're back. Uh, let's let's talk some football if you're up to it. And if you got to watch much fantasy or football, what do you think about the fantasy surprises this past week? I, I watched a bits and pieces, to be honest. I, I had the red zone on. And I, we had, like, a, a pool party bash thing. and uh, But I did get to watch games. I just couldn't watch it, like, as glued as I normally do. And a uh, big big thing that, for the fantasy world anyway, was with Dalvin Cook going down. We, I noticed that. That's a big thing. So people are going to be on the waiver wire looking for someone to pick up there. I noticed, and, and, and I – I have actually picked this guy up in, like, a dynasty league, but you brought him up last week. Um, Deshaun Watson went off. Yeah, played, how about It was that? really ironic how, how you nice said that. Nice call, and Mr. He had, Furman. Like, one of the best games. Well, I told you, you I know? saw him with my eyes. He's the deal. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he looked good, and, and um, just injuries really are, are, are the main thing, and now people are going to be scrambling to, to find replacements for certain players. Uh, All right, Fred, let's get wait. to it. Week five is upon us. Week five is upon us. Who do you sit? Who do you play? At the quarterback spot, it sounds like an obvious one, but but it kind of is like a must start. Like, you have to start Tom Brady this week. It's against the Buccaneers. They've given up uh, an average of 319 yards through the air, 30-plus um, receptions and, and five touchdowns in the last two outings. Brady, if, if you have Brady, you, you have to start him. You can't even think about it. Not that you even wouldn't, but you're you're going to be looking for a double-digit 40, 30, 40 points with him. Um, on the other side, quarterback-wise, he's been having a great year. Seven touchdown passes to one interception, Jared Goff. I think this week he's going to match up against a Seahawks defense. 
they're pretty much shutting down the quarterbacks that they play. They're, they're, the quarterbacks are scoring an average of, of around 12 points, depending on what kind of league you are in. Plus, he's still a young quarterback. I think uh, you, you sit Jared Goff this week. At the running back spot, I would start uh, Le'Veon Bell. He's been gradually getting better week to week. He exploded last week for 144 yards and two touchdowns, and he has a great matchup. So definitely start uh, Le'Veon Bell if you have him. Uh, at the running back spot, I would sit Latavius Murray, who who will be the the the, the coveted free agent prize this this week on the waiver wire because he'll be the fill in for Dalvin Cook. He had a great great couple years with uh, the Raiders, but I, I would not start. I would pick him up on the waiver wire, but would not start him this week against the Bears defense. They've been pretty good against the run, and I, I just don't think it's a good start. At wide receiver. <clears throat> I would start Mike Evans this week. He's facing a, a terrible Pats defense that's given up a ton of points to wide receivers throughout the year. He's uh, He's got a good guy next to him and Deshaun Jackson who could have a good day, but altogether all that offense, that, that's going to be a high-scoring game. I, I would start Mike Evans. On the other side, sitting wide receivers, this is going to be kind of a, a, a surprise, and I might even be wrong on this one. I would uh, sit, though, Antonio Brown. He's amid a, a lot of controversy right now from his sideline antics, but on top of that, he's facing the Jaguars, who, who are number one as far as my league goes in uh, pass defense and, and stopping receivers. So he don't expect the, the outcome you, nor, you would normally get from an Antonio Brown. I can see them shutting him down. At tight end, I would start, and this is going to be odd, Austin Safarian Jenkins, the tight end for the New York Jets. He's had four catches for 46 yards last week and like 10 targets within um, the last two weeks. But the main reason I would start him is the Browns have given up a ton of points, 30 catches and 270 yards to tight ends. So that's a great, great matchup there for him. Um, at the sitting down position at tight end, I would he's been having a great year. I think I even picked him a couple weeks to start. Charles Clay has a tough matchup against a Bengals uh, defense. They've only given up 10 catches and 96 yards throughout the whole year to tight ends. So he might not have – as he's probably not going to have a good day. And that I looked at that over-under. It's pretty low, so there, there might not be much scoring. Uh, defensively, to start, I would start the Vikings. The Vikings have a solid defense, and they're facing Mitchell Trubisky as he makes his first start. So I think – he may be a good quarterback down the road, but that's a tough matchup for him to start his career with. Uh, the Patriots' D is the defense I would sit. I would maybe even cut the Patriots' D altogether. They're just having an awful time. They tend to rebound down the road, I guess. Last year they weren't great either, and then they started to come on at the end and won the Super Bowl. So, But as of now, I, I wouldn't even put them anywhere near my starting lineup. As far as kicker goes, I would start Greg Zerline. Of the uh, Rams, he's been having a great year. He's 20 points ahead of all the other kickers. He'll be facing the Seahawks, who tend to, when you get in the red zone, even will will stop you, so he'll get the field goal with the three points. And then the kicker I would sit is Stephen Hosko, the Buffalo Bills, versus the Bengals. I don't know how you keep this stat or if it even means anything, but they statistically they don't give up a ton of points to kickers, but I more looked at the over-under and saw it being a low-scoring game. So... I figured he's not the guy to start, but that's my uh, start one, sit one for this week. There you go. All right. 
All right. Well, hey, let's get our picks in for the week. And uh, Chet, how did we do last week? What's our what's our standings? Well, as it turned out, even with Fred picking against the Eagles, shame on you, Fred. We all went three and one for the week. So. For the season, it is still Bill leading the pack at 10-3. and three. Very nice, Coach Furman. Fred is at 8-5, and five, and I'm finally over the 500 mark at the very least. I'm 7-6. and six. Mm, Okay. Let's see how we do this week. Only three games to pick. The Redskins have a bye week. Uh, so let's get it started. Fred, Chargers at the Giants. Giants minus 3.5. I'm, I'm strictly doing this off of the spread. I'm, I'm taking the Giants that, that they're favored more. They're just favored in the game in general. So I'm just uh, – one of them's got to win, I guess. And in my head, I would think the Chargers look, look better overall because they've been so close against teams regardless. So I don't know why the Giants would even be favored. So I'm going to take the Giants. As for me, in a battle of two 0-4 teams, I'm going to go with the home team. Yeah, Giants win this one. I can't see them falling to 0-5. Giants in a close one. Yeah, I'm going to take the Giants, too, but and only because they're home, because they stink. They stink worse than the Chargers, but they still stink. But they are home, and they've <laughs> got to win one sometime. I think this will yep. be the one. So I'm going G-men. All right, Next. Green Bay at Dallas. Dallas minus two. I like this game. Hmm. Go, Fred. That sounds like a high-scoring game. What are we going to go here with? Let's think. Well, Dallas doesn't stop the run well. You got that, I think it's Aaron Jones, the guy that, or Ty Montgomery, whoever's going to go. Kind of a small spread. I'm going to go Packers. I'm going to have Dallas losing two in a row here. I'm going to go with the Packers. Oh, wow. Cowboys are favored, yes, but I'm just not feeling it with the Cowboys this season, so – I hate to do this, but I got to agree with Fred. Packers win that one on the road. Go Green Bay. Well, nobody hates it any more than me because I've got the Packers circled too. I, uh, I'm i not going against Aaron Rodgers, and I'm going to go Packers as well. I hate that. One more. So we have last Eagles host to Arizona Cardinals, Eagles minus six and a half. Fred? E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles! No doubt about this one. <laughs> it's the battle of the birds. I think the Eagles continue their little roll that they're on and improve to 4-1. and one. I'm expecting a big game from Carson Wentz in this one. Eagles 27-17 to 17 is my prediction. 27-17. Well, I'll tell you what. I've, I've said both weeks, both of the last two weeks, I thought the Eagles would win close, and they did win close in both of those games. I think this one's going to be close, too, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me to flip this a little bit and go with Arizona because I think it's going to be that close. This is a little bit of a trap game to me. But I'm going to go Eagles, and I'm going to go 23-20. Close game, I think. Three field goals for that uh, Jake Elliott, huh? Another big day for Jake. That's it. That's it. Okay. Well, hey, Fred, certainly thanks for joining us again. And uh, we're glad you're home safe and that your family's safe and everything went okay. And uh, we'll talk to you again. Hey, hang on, hang on. Fred, Fred, 30 seconds. Tell me, you were out there in Vegas for your bachelor party, so in 30 seconds, how was it? (laughs) It was the most wildest time of my life. I can't even explain it, how how fun (laughs) it was. I don't want to get too graphic, but it was nuts. The (laughs) pool party was awesome. They had like we went to old Vegas, we went everywhere. You just you gotta you gotta do it at least once in your life. So what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Chet. 
Exactly. Yeah, save the graphic details for when, when we go out for a beer sometime. You can tell me all the gory details. Thanks, Fred. There you go, at the <laughs> Irish <laughs> Rover. There you Sounds go. good. All right, Fred. All right, guys. Okay. Hey, Chet, we covered the Flyers, the Phillies. Let's talk Eagles. Heading out to L.A. to win a home game against the Chargers. Eagles fans showed well out there. Boy, did they ever. Birds fans who were there said it was about 60% Eagles fans, which is just amazing. And that was evident, you know, when you're watching it on TV. Great job by the Eagles fans. I mean, you know, they've always traveled well, but that was really impressive. And, by the way, as – I asked at the end of my piece on our website about the Birds' running attack, who the heck thought it was a good idea to move two teams back to Los Angeles? They, they can't support two football teams. I don't know if they can support one football team. Yeah, they, they not only they can't support them, they don't want to support them. You know, and, and I know Big John's probably listening uh, because he's a good, loyal listener to our show, but they don't support them Trojans out there either, and they don't, <laughs> they don't support UCLA. You know, it's not. It's the same thing that happens down here in Miami, where they don't support the Hurricanes, they don't support the Dolphins either. So there's just yeah. too much to do out on them coasts. Yes, indeed. And hey, speaking of the running attack that I mentioned, uh, for those in our listening audience who didn't hear it, check out Merrill Reese's Sunday call of Legarrette Blunt's 68-yard he run. Goes to Blunt. He's got a first down. He's got more. He's at the 40. He's at the 45. The 50. The 40. The 30. Five. That could be the play of the game. There you go. That's Merrill. Oh, he's great. He's great. And speaking he's of awesome. that, Chet, you know, uh, and you wrote that piece on running the football, and it was pretty good. It was a good piece, certainly. And, you know, I think the big thing is the, the Eagles had great matchups in that game. And uh, if there's anything that Chip Kelly ever said that, that I certainly agreed with is it's a game of matchups. And since they put Wisniewski in there, at that guard position, the matchups have gone the Eagles' way, and he's done a real nice job. Kelsey is playing excellent football at this point. And uh, when when you get that kind of movement up front, you can run the ball, and if you can do that, you're going to win. Yeah, well, you've got to play to your strengths, and these guys are showing that they can run, and Jason Kelsey has always been a better run blocker than pass blocker, and as you said, he's just looked great the last couple of games. And I want to say one more thing. Shame on me, because it was me two weeks ago who was questioning whether LeGarrette Blunt maybe was washed up, and that was a bad acquisition. I, I asked Ken Dunnick about that, and uh, what has uh, Blunt done since then? Well, he had a pretty solid game against the Giants, and then, of course, he ran wild, 100 and whatever it was, yards against uh, the Chargers this past Sunday, including that 68-yard run. So shame on me, LeGarrette Blunt is not washed up. Well, and, you know, like I say, it, it's it's a matter of matchups. We, you know, they tried to match up with the Chiefs, and you're not. they didn't have the matchups, and they had to do something completely different. It, you know, you can't keep running the ball if you can't run the ball. You know, it just it just doesn't work that way. So, you know, I think I think Peterson has done a great job so far. He he's exploited the weaknesses in the defense. He sound he he's seen, and in the case of the Chiefs, he didn't find one, and and they took a beating because of it. Hey, does it concern you at all that the Eagles' three wins this season have come against 
the Redskins, who are 2-2, two and two, and then a couple of 0-4 oh teams. So the three wins that they've got are against teams that are combined 2-10. and 10. Does that give you pause? Does that scare you at all? No, not at all, because if you look overall at the league record, and I actually had this the other night in, in my head, and I don't remember exactly, but if you look at it, there are very few teams that are 3-1, and one, and there's only one that's 4-0. and oh. Uh, there's a lot of two and twos, a lot of one and threes, and some zero and fours. So, I mean, it's the league. Put put them on the schedule and beat them. That's your, that's your job. And just one more thing about the running game. Yeah, they did well the last two weeks, but the Giants and Chargers both stink against the run. I think the Chargers were number 31. Arizona, if I remember correctly, is ranked number 11. So that's going to be more of a test this weekend. Let's see how the running game does against Arizona this Sunday at the link. Yeah, and you know what? I'm, uh, one final comment on that: it doesn't scare me a whole lot that you're not going. So you're certainly not going to run for 200 plus yards every week, but you still have Carson Wentz, and I think Carson Wentz is developing into a quarterback that's going to have you, give you a chance to win every time you go out there. Oh, absolutely! And his numbers weren't great last week. But that's because he was smart and he was able to throw some balls away to avoid a sack. So, like I said, the numbers weren't, weren't great, but I thought Wentz played a real good game against the Chargers. Oh, I did too. I did too, and uh, he'll keep developing. Well, hey, Chet, new, new topic for you, unless you have another t- uh, Tom Brett Petty thing you need to talk about right quick. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good with Tom now. All right. Well, hey, happy one-year anniversary to us. Our website, phillypressboxradio.com, is one year old tomorrow, I believe it is. And we'd like to thank all of you that visited the site over 20,000 times in the first year. We've been trying to keep the site updated with the articles from the papers as well as a few that we write, including Chet's recent on running the football. You can listen to all of our shows, also the Vimeos from all of our shows, uh, our guests, lists of websites as well. Also, check out our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House at BobSullivan'sLikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their website. Again, thanks to all of you. Yeah, and I don't know what more I can add to that other than happy one-year anniversary to our website. Uh, we've been doing the show now for almost three and a half years, and we uh, launched the website October 5th of last year, getting great response to it. We're going to continue to keep that updated and, you know, try to do what we can to make it even better. So thank you for everyone who has checked it out. Thanks for everyone who continues to listen to the show. And we got some good guests coming up in the weeks ahead. We do. Speaking of good guests, you've been on a roll, my friend. And what do we got going on next week? Well, I think you know this. At least I hope you do, Bill. I'm not going to be here next week. I'm I'm traveling. But you have yourself a terrific guest, a guy who's been with us a number of times. I think it's seven, but I would have to check that. I think seven so far, and this would be number eight. It's somewhere around there. I would have to check. But anyway, he is a former Eagles and Patriots special teamer, part-time linebacker, an Eagles pre- and post-game show co-host for many years, a motivational speaker, and now an author as well, and that would be Mr. Kevin Riley. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Kevin will be here, and he's going to be talking a little bit different. You know, we're certainly going to talk Eagles and we're going to talk football, but, you know, as Kevin mentioned the last time he was on the show, he was writing a book on his life. It's now finished. It will be available in the next week. It's titled Tackling Life, How Faith, Family, Friends of Fortitude Kept a Linebacker in the Game. And, and Chet, I tell you, I've had a chance to read it already. Uh, Kevin sent sent me a copy to read, and 
I'm telling you, I couldn't put it down. And I'm not a huge reader, but I read the entire book in two nights. Uh, it is it is uh, so emotional, uh, such an emotional roller coaster of some of the things in there. It's fantastic, and, and Kevin is going to tell us all about it next week. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it was awesome because, I mean, Kevin's story is a great one. He's told us some of that, you know, in his previous appearances on our show, and, you know, we've known some of what he's gone through, but now to have him detailed in a book, I know it's going to be a great read. So uh, enjoy the show next week with Kevin. I will certainly check it out. All right. Well, Mr. Chesco, do we have a parting shot for you tonight because time is flying? Yeah. Uh, you might not remember the name Marty Wallover, but he was the Phillies director of amateur scouting from 2002 until his firing at the end of the 2014 season. When out scouting teenage ball players and deciding which ones to draft is not an easy job, you just don't know how those kids will develop physically, what sort of work ethic they have, and whether they have the many necessary intangibles to one day make them big league ball players. The very first guy the Phillies drafted with Wallover in charge in 2002 was a kid you may remember, Cole Hamels. That worked out quite well. Unfortunately, several of Marty's high draft picks, Anthony Hewitt, Joe Savory, Zach Collier, Kyle Drabeck, Larry Green, Mount Aries, Jesse Biddle, didn't really pan out. That's undeniable. But Marty also drafted outfielder Aaron Altair in the ninth round in 2009, and then in 2013 he selected high school shortstop J.P. Crawford in the first round and catcher Andrew Knapp in the second round. In his final draft, 2014, Wallover selected pitcher Aaron Nola in the first round, and a slugger from California named Reese Hoskins in round five. I looked it up but couldn't find out right away where the heck Marty is today. But if the Phillies do become contenders in the next two years thanks to contributions from Hoskins, Altair, Crawford, and Nola, they'll owe at least a bit of that success to Marty Wallover. Cool. Cool stuff. Good research. All and, right, Bill, you got a parting shot. My parting shot. A friend of mine and a past guest on our show, Bill Mattis, lost his son, Will, this weekend due to a tragic epidemic that's killing our young people. Many of you go to card shows and visit places like Carl's Cards to see autographed guests. Bill has been the man behind those guests for many years. Carl Henderson and Carl's Cards are responding during Bill and his family's time in need by holding a fundraiser for a friend benefit at the store on Saturday, October 28th from 3 to 6 p.m., this will be after the Tommy Green sign he's scheduled for earlier in the day. There will be silent auctions, raffles, and live auctions to, of great items in an effort to raise as much money as possible for Bill and his family. The first item is already posted, actually. It's on Carl's Card's Facebook page, a pair of Flyers tickets. If you get a chance, stop by. Call in or be a part of it in any way you can. For details, go to Carl's Card's and Collectibles Facebook page or our Facebook pages as well. We will help Bill any way we can at Philly Press Box Radio. Sad times, my friend. Yeah, it's just a shame for Bill and his family. Our hearts do go out to the entire Mattis family at this time. All right, Chet. Well, with that, we've reached the top of the hour, and we'd like to thank our special guests, Bill Meltzer, Jason Stark, Fred Hugo, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, October 11th at 7 p.m. when Kevin Riley joins us. You can listen through our Facebook page or our website, phillypressboxradio.com, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, 
or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and MixCloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. <laughs>